Well, good day, everybody. I'm Sam. And I'm Mike. And we are the Extras. Mike, welcome back after a week off. A week off, yeah. It was not, well, actually... It was a crazy week last yeah. week, but uh, <laughs> that's why we didn't get there. Apologies about that. But, it's nice uh, to be back. It is good to be back. And we're here, we've got a double header of, uh, of episodes. It's sort of grand final weekend or something <laughs> like that uh, on, on the podcast. And uh, we're going to cover some questions that you guys have uh, sent in from, from uh, two Sundays ago on Revelation chapter 21 and then from last Sunday on uh, Revelation chapter 22, and so we're going to be flying through that bit of, of the scriptures. And just thanks again for all your questions all this term. They've been fantastic. Yeah, and uh, and you're, we're done in the book of Revelation, so this will be our last kind of podcast for a couple of weeks, and yep. then we'll pick it up again in Matthew in a couple of weeks' time. Fabulous, and we're on the mount. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Let's dive into chapter 21, Mike. Okay. And uh, can you just quickly remind us these last two chapters of the Bible, what are they all about? I take it the last two chapters of Revelation are given to us to motivate us to stick with Jesus. There's this glorious picture of the, the our Christian hope, that the carrot that's dangling before us to say, hang in there with Jesus, stick with him, it's going to be worth it. I know it's hard, but it's definitely worth hanging in there with him. Mm, it is. And uh, yep, that's that's how these chapters function, don't they? They, they paint a picture for us to keep our... Keep us going, some fuel in the tank, uh, just a picture of what's what's coming to us in Christ. That's it. Uh, okay, we've got some questions out, out of chapter 21. Uh, the first one refers to uh, Revelation 21 verse 24, um, which speaks of the kings of the earth bringing their glory into the new creation. And uh, yeah, how do they bring their splendor into the city? And what's that talking about with the, the kings of the nations doing that? Terrific. So right throughout Revelation, the, the nations and the kings have been opposed to God and his, and the Lamb. Um, but at the end, uh, they will actually repent, uh, in, you know, some of them, um, and actually bring their splendor into the city. Now, I take it that's a picture, not literally taken, but a picture of them bringing their worship to God. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the the splendor, the wealth that they would have ordinarily devoted to their idols, their fake gods, uh, they will symbolically bring to God. Okay, so it's a picture of worship. Not that not that they'll actually be there with sort of some tributes of gold and whatever else necessarily, but they'll be offering all that they have their worship to to God. The King. That's what it's symbolising. And and I guess there's a there's a significance in that that it's the kings of the nations. Um, that's it. Not just the kings of of the earth and that perhaps that's what revelation is trying to get us to marvel at that that all nations sort of will come back to god through christ yeah representative of all those nations who were rebellious there will be mm. some who will actually repent and believe in that interesting that psalm 2 picture keeps kind of coming through here doesn't it uh that that's very very helpful so all right uh question number two is just generally about the idea of a new heaven and the question is is that heaven in the sense of sky and space, sort of sometimes heaven can mean that, sky yes. versus earth. Yes. Um, or is it heaven in the sense of where God lives? And so which which one are we getting a new version of? Yeah, I take it Revelation 21 is talking about God's space heaven that is reunited with earth. Um, and that's the great miracle at the end of the scriptures, isn't it? That as the Bible started in the Garden of Eden with heaven and earth united, but then divided because of sin and the curse. They will be reunited, and that means that God will be dwelling with us. Mm, okay, yep, so it's, it's in that, that sense. That's helpful. Um, all right, we'll, we'll keep moving here. Um, 
a couple of questions about the idea of renewal or, or renovation, which we were thinking about in, in Revelation 21. A um, couple of good questions here. Uh, if God is simply renewing the heavens and the earth, why does verse 1 say that the heavens and the earth pass away? Yeah, so Revelation 21 seems to suggest perhaps that both everything is going to be done away with, Right, passed away, no more death, no more. Um, the old is gone, the old order of things has passed away. Um, but there is also this kind of hint of kind of continuity or improvement that there is still an earth and there will still be a, 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 a Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem and there'll still be God dwelling with his people, but in a much better way. Uh, and so how do we kind of, where does the emphasis lie, I guess? Is it on that? Basically, it's just a, 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 a knock-down rebuild, or is it a kind of a renovate? And it gets a bit tricky, but the language there, and we've got to remember that this is apocalyptic literature. This is, this is picture language. Um, and so we don't want to get too, I guess, caught up on trying to nail down exactly how the pictures all fit together. Mm. Uh, but if there is an emphasis, it seems to be, and... Uh, particularly in light of passages like 2 Peter 3, which someone's asked a question about, where kind of everything's going to be dissolved by fire and burned mm. and destructed and kind of... It seems to be the emphasis is that the new creation is coming down from heaven. Um, and so if there is an emphasis, it really is on this completely new mm. um, creation of heaven and earth combined rather than the continuation of the old creation. Mm. And that's interesting because I think sometimes you can go a little bit wrong if because there's those two images. There seems to be total destruction of 2 Peter 3. Yeah. Elements dissolved with the fire and you know all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then you've also there does seem to be some sense in which the Romans eight that the creation is groaning, longing to be set free into yes. the, into the freedom of the children yeah. of the Son of God. And you seem to have those two ideas that you've got to hold together, both given to us as as images of of what is coming in the future. That's it. And um, sometimes I think if you play one of those stronger than the other, you you go a little wrong. If you play the destruction card, you think well it doesn't matter about caring for the earth and being God's stewards here. Just you know, it's all going to burn, so who cares? That's yep. not helpful. No. Um, because we are God's stewards of the creation. But then also, if you go, well, it's all going to continue, you can also go wrong on that pathway too, can't you? Where you start saying, well, I'm going to build the most amazing building that's going to endure into the new creation. I'm going to paint some artwork that's going to come with me into the new creation, which I think is missing the point. Is that is that fair? Oh, I think that's very fair that you can perhaps over-invest in this world, thinking mm. that it will all continue. And actually, when it, the Bible talks about the, the continuity and the discontinuity, uh, the end point often in Scripture is not invest in the things of this world, but actually invest in the world to come, and particularly to invest in your own godliness mm. and invest in gospel ministry, uh, the godliness and for the good of other people. Um, that's where the New Testament in particular takes us in terms of trying to wrestle with where do I invest my time and energy in yeah. light of the fact that things will change but some things will continue. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and 2 Peter 3, again, is helpful for that, isn't it? If everything's going to be destroyed in that way, what, what kind of people should you be? Verse 11, uh, you should live lives of holiness and godliness. Or, or verse 14, um, be zealous for, for good works to be, to be found without spot or blemish and at peace with God. So it seems to be a... Well, given the reality of the new world, um, your character, your godliness matters. And, and I guess um, 1 Corinthians 15 perhaps kind of points us in, in that same direction. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 
15 talks about kind of continuity and change of the resurrected body. Um, and the end point of that is, therefore, give yourself to the work of the Lord, knowing that that is not in vain. And mm. so it's kind of keep investing in, in people because people will go on into the new creation mm. um, in a resurrected body form. Um, but keep investing in people and the work of the Lord. Even 1 Corinthians 3 talks similarly um, about, you know, building into, if you like, or for the new creation. And that's all about building into people and gospel ministry Mm. and gospel work. Yeah. So I guess given the reality of the new heavens and the new earth, the 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 focus needs to be go and make disciples. Yeah, yeah, that's nicely put. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. All right, uh, last question on two weeks ago, Revelation twenty one. Um, uh, really insightful question here. Um, someone's put in on their card. Um, uh, sort of noting that there's no temple anymore in the new creation. Yes. Um, and then saying, well, hang on. If if one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to make us temples uh, here on earth. Could that mean, it's given there's no temple imagery in Revelation 21, could that mean, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is no longer dwelling in us in the new creation? Oh, I love this question. This person's really thinking uh, Bible big picture, which is which is awesome, or kind of thinking biblically, uh, th- biblical theology. Um, so in the Old Testament, we have the temple where God is able to dwell in his glory with his people. Um and then you get to the New Testament. Jesus says uh, in kind of John chapter 2 that he's the temple, you know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Uh, so Jesus comes kind of God's dwelling place. And then 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? Um, and so we become the temple. And then Revelation 21 and 22, there is no temple anymore because the whole new creation is the temple. Mm. Um, so I, I love the question that's kind of forced us to think through the whole picture of the, the Bible. Um, so, but then the question kind of uh, alludes to, well, what does that mean for us and our experience of the Holy Spirit? And um, mm. yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting question in terms of, I'm not exactly sure. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, the Holy Spirit will be within all the new creation, just like God will dwell everywhere and his glory will dwell everywhere and Jesus will dwell everywhere and we'll have uh, unlimited access to God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so will the Spirit still dwell in us or just kind of dwell with us? Um, whatever it is, it's going to be a far better experience of the Holy Spirit than we enjoy now, just mm-hmm. as our experience of God the Father and God the Son will be a, mm-hmm. a better, more personal, intimate experience of those God wiping our tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not exactly sure if the mm-hmm. Spirit will be in us or around us, but it will be a better experience. Yeah, that's helpful. So we, we know less an experience of God um, Certainly, um, some of the imagery of, of Revelation seems to hint at some of the functions of the Spirit, doesn't it? In terms of um, the river of, of uh, sort of life and living water flowing out yes. um, that you get there in that new creation picture. I mean, John 6 picks up uh, when Jesus says, you know, come to me and drink um, and streams of living water will flow. John gives you the little input that that's talking about the Holy Spirit. So it. it, certainly um, it's going to be Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's going to be better than what it is now, the exact work out of that yes yeah don't know we'll ask god when we get there or we'll just experience it we won't need to it's gonna be good (laughs) yeah okay i've got some questions now from chapter 22 uh let's see how we go here um verses 18 and 19 uh that's those verses referring to um adding to or taking away from the words of the 
this prophecy. Um, what do they refer to, Mike? Are they um, are they talking about what we might call canonicity? The the idea of um, things can't be books can't be added to or taken away from the Bible. Are they talking about sort of the the scriptures as a whole? Words shouldn't be added, bits shouldn't be cut away, or or are they talking about something else? Yeah, I think uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 is a helpful background to this. Uh, so let me just read that, uh, Deuteronomy 4 2, uh, which is in the context of, of the giving of the law uh, the second time, Deuteronomy. Um, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Uh, I take it Revelation 22, 18 and 19 is really saying... You've got to keep these words and particularly look out for any false teachers who try and add to the message or the teaching of Revelation or take things away, say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. I think that's what it's actually getting at. Rather than saying, you know, don't remove this paragraph out of your version of the Bible or, you know, don't add another paragraph, mm. um, it's saying keep this letter because remember that's how we're blessed and be very careful of those who want to add to the message you know do revelation but you've also got to do this or take away from revelation uh you've got to keep it all but you know chapter four five you know you don't have to worry about that something like that mm. so in, if i'm hearing you rightly you're saying it's it's primarily verses 18 and 19 now to do with the message that revelation contains don't add to it which uh, or don't take away from it which is really where false teaching kind of goes one way or the other, doesn't it? Totally. False teaching is always adding something to the message yep. or taking something away. Yep. Now, there may be, therefore, implications about the way we handle Scripture, uh, we, that we don't want to cut bits out of Scripture or add bits to Scripture. But that's, For sure. And that, so that's true, but that's perhaps not the focus perhaps of secondary 18 to, and 19. That's right. Uh, that really it's about this message that's contained here, the message that blesses, the message that you've got to keep. Um, generally false teaching flows when someone has added to it or taken away from that's it. That's exactly right. Yeah, okay, that's helpful. All right, uh, got another great question here. I love these um, sort of uh, help me kind of understand questions, and, and this is a great one. What will it look like to serve God and reign with God in heaven? What will that involve? Nice. The, uh, the pictures behind serving and reign are probably the pictures of the priest serving in the temple and Adam reigning and ruling in the Garden of Eden. Mm. Um, and so I think that helps us a little bit, but perhaps we still don't get all the details, to be honest. Um, but we'll be serving God, we'll be worshipping God um, as in one sense, or kind of uh, with allusions to how the priests used to serve in the temple. And we'll be ruling and reigning in this creation, in the new creation that God has given us to rule over, a little bit like Adam was to reign and rule. Mm. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but Isaiah 65 is perhaps helpful. And Isaiah 65 is actually behind a lot of Revelation 21 and 22. And it kind of talks in terms of the new creation where a lot of the curse and the frustrations are going to be taken away. Um, and so there's verses like uh, verse 21, you know, they'll build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Um, uh, my chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. That's a lovely kind of image of, 
Mm. We're going to keep working, we're going to keep serving and ruling, but all the frustrations will be taken away and everything we do will kind of turn to gold. Uh, everything will work, everything will kind of function. There'll be no kind of, mm. uh, you know, moments. It's all going to happen mm. the way God intended it to happen. Yeah, and I guess that kind of picks up the language um, in Revelation 22 verse 3 is that there will be no more curse, which I think is sort of instructive in terms of how to interpret verse 4. Five, where it says we're going to reign forever and ever, uh, it certainly points us back to that that um, garden image of Adam and Eve before the fall, where they were the lords of creation under God. That's it. Uh, but and I mean, we can barely imagine that. I mean, imagine the idea <laughs> of, of setting out on a project where there was just no chance of you being waylaid by frustration and difficulty. And I mean, each of us can think of times where we've we've tried to do something and then just been you know, frustrated, whether that's from the little things in life, trying to get the garden sorted, or to the big things in life, sort of big purpose for your life. And just having the brokenness of this cre- this creation cut in and, and wreck that for you one way or the other. Mm. And if that doesn't happen, death jumps in and wrecks it um, ultimately. Absolutely. Uh, because you, you just get to the point where you're going to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor and then you get sick and you die. And, um, and Revelation is pointing to a time when all, a, a creation, when all of that will be taken away and we will be able to reign over the, the, the new creation and kind of engage in it without those those curses that are on this current creation. Mm. Sounds yeah. good. Does sound good, doesn't it? I'm it looking, does. I'm looking forward to it. All right, now, uh, Mike, help us out uh, in terms of understanding this whole notion of reward. Um, that that's uh, sort of one of the things that pops up here in uh, in Revelation. You got a verse there? I'm just hunting for. Oh it. yeah, I can find your verse. All right, I'll ask you the question while you find the verse. Yeah, it's um, verse twelve. Verse twelve. Yeah. Um, uh, there seems to be this bringing reward, bringing recompense. Um, uh, giving to everyone according to what he has done, um, yeah. How, how does that how does that work? What does that involve? Um, and is there something perhaps extra in terms of reward or something different for each person? Terrific. So um, the new creation belongs to those who trust in Christ, uh, who come to Jesus for living water, um, for those who hunger and thirst. Um, we are saved by grace. Jesus has done it all, and that's how our kind of names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life um, by trusting in Him. Um, but uh, Revelation twenty-one and lots of parts of Scripture also talk about the fact that we'll also be kind of judged for what we do and be rewarded based on what we do. And so that kind of raises questions in, in terms of, well, if we've got heaven and we've got God, you know, what, what else could we need? What, what other reward could you get? Mm. So what is this reward? And uh, it's a little bit tricky to work out. Uh, one passage that might be helpful to us is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, mm. um, which talks a little bit about um, kind of, you might be aware of the be careful how you build analogy where Paul's saying to Christians, um, as you get involved in people's lives and loving and serving and discipling other people, um, give it your best. Uh, Don't go half-hearted. Don't just use shabby leftover work and materials, but actually be careful how you build because based on how you build is how you'll be rewarded. Mm. Um, So you'll be rewarded according to your labor, chapter 3, verse 
8 talks about. And verse 14, uh, if they what they built survives, he will receive his reward. Now that begs the question, well, what exactly is the reward? And I wonder if the reward is that the people that you love and serve and have discipled will be able to enjoy the new creation with you. Um, that seems to me to be the only thing that kind of perhaps makes sense of, well, we've already got the new creation. We've got God. We've got Jesus. We've got the Spirit. What else could we want? Well, our friends who are there, those who we've loved and discipled and served, that they get to, we get to share mm. with them, they get to share with us. That sounds like a pretty good reward that mm. those who I love will be there with me for eternity. Yeah, and I'll take it, I mean, if you imagine, if you take that on a little thought experiment, you, you can imagine the moment where perhaps someone that you lead to the Lord. Now, obviously, you do any ministry that you do by God's grace, so it's, it's all a yes. work of grace anyway. Yes. But God has chosen to use you to lead someone to the Lord, and then the day that they come into the, the kingdom of God and you see them, and you're already full of joy because you're with God and with Jesus, and then they, they come in and you just... Your heart sings because they're there and God used you to bring them in and uh, or, or work in their life or grow them or some sense, which is what Paul, I think, is talking about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, yeah. he writes to the Thessalonians and, and you just get in, in the whole of 1 Thessalonians this kind of outpouring of affection that God has for this particular church. And in, in chapter 2 verse uh, 19, he, he talks about that day and he says, for, for what is our hope or our joy or our, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus on the day that he comes is it not you? Yes, you are our glory and joy. And uh, Paul seems to, to kind of have that same idea that one day he's going to see the, the people from Thessalonica come in and he's just going to go, oh, this is even better than it was, you know, because God has graciously used Paul to, to bring them into the Lord and he's just thrilled about seeing them in heaven. Therefore? Go and make disciples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It keeps going back to that, doesn't it? Doesn't it? All right, now, Mike, uh, we've got a bunch of questions coming in uh, about verse 11 of yep. chapter 22. Yep. Um, I'm just going to go with the easiest one. Can you please explain <laughs> verse 11? Yeah, please uh, explain. Various versions of what does it mean to let the unrighteous go on in their unrighteousness? Does God not care? Is this actually an excuse to say, don't go and make disciples? <laughs> That's right. Stuff them, leave them out there, That's and it right. doesn't matter. Or, yeah, doesn't yeah. this contradict everything we've just said? Yeah. Sounds like just give up on the non non believer. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's what this is talking about. Okay, and explain let it for me us. tell you why. <laughs> uh, I think the help for this in terms of the Old Testament is Daniel chapter twelve, verse ten. Okay. Now Daniel chapter twelve. Look it up as I'm giving you some context. Uh, Daniel is uh, is the apocalyptic um, parallel, if you like, to to Revelation. Okay, and right at the end of Daniel. Uh, vision, mm -hmm. just like at the end of Revelation, um, you get this verse that sounds pretty similar to Daniel to uh, Revelation twenty two eleven. Let me read it for you. Uh, Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Mm. And this is all in the context of uh, the end time. Mm -hmm. Now. This is what some of the commentators say, and it's a little bit tricky, but see, see if this flies. Um, the parallel between Daniel and Revelation seems to say, yep, there will be the wicked who will just keep on being wicked, but there'll be the righteous who will keep on being made righteous. And the difference is, which is explained in Daniel, but perhaps not explained in Revelation, 
um, is that the wicked are the ones who haven't understood. Mm. Okay, and because they haven't understood, even though this vision's been given to them and they've been warned, they haven't understood. Therefore, they're not willing to change. Therefore, they're not going to change. But those who have understood keep being changed, keep going on into godliness and holiness. And so you take that back into Revelation 22. I take it, this is what it's saying. At the end of the revelation, at the end of time, there will still be some who won't have got it, who won't have understood it. And they're the ones that will keep going on in unrighteousness. But those who have understood, you are to go on in holiness and doing what is right. Um, So it's a motivation here to keep being godly. Is it a demotivator to stop telling your friends the gospel? No, because mm. the invite is still available. And you know that because when you get to Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come, and whoever hears says, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. In other words, God's still putting the offer out there. But verse 11 is acknowledging that there will be some who won't understand, therefore won't change. Mm. Okay. But our job is to keep putting the offer out there, to keep going and try and make disciples, Mm. um, knowing that God still has the offer on the table Mm. um, to come if you want the free gift of Mm. eternal life. So I guess, therefore, verse 11 is saying to us, people will continue in their disobedience so long as they don't understand. That's it. Um, And therefore, really, the emphasis is try and help them understand because the invitation still is still is out there that's it um but until they understand it they're not going to uh turn or change so don't get discouraged when they don't turn or change without the message to keep preaching the message and uh and be urgent about it because the, the the end is coming soon is what is what revelation 22 keeps saying it's soon 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 so get out there and make disciples i guess and then the other half of the verse is if you have understood revelation what do you do you continue on being in hol- in holiness yeah. and growing in righteousness, and so yeah. keep keeping the message of revelation. Yeah. So your own godliness is is a focus for you. That's it. Yeah, Mike, that's a wrap. Uh, that, those are the questions we've got. That's been really helpful. Want to want to yeah, give thanks to God for for all your work in uh, in the Book of Revelation with us, and for these times in the podcast. Thank you. Um, we are yeah, going to take a couple of weeks off the podcast while we have a, we've got some holiday uh, series coming up over the next couple of weeks. Various uh, people coming to preach over the next three Sundays. Yeah, that'll be good fun. Lots of guest preachers coming in, uh, yep. lots of different voices, uh, the same message. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, then we dive into the book of Matthew. Hey, now we've done Matthew 1 to 4 we in have. the past, so yep. tell us about the next series, Sam. We're landing into Matthew 5 to 7, which is uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's one of the big, what we call, discourses of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus speaks, um, and uh, five, uh, five, six, seven, they're all chapters right from the lips of Jesus, and uh, we're going to dive into what he has to say to us there, um, all about what it, what it means to be his disciple, um, and it's this kind of book of contrast. On the one hand, he sets the standard so high that no one could enter. Uh, we have to be perfect if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then yet yeah, the very first words, the very first line of the Sermon on the Mount is, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That actually once you recognize, uh-oh, <laughs> you can't <laughs> make it into the kingdom of heaven by your own righteousness, and you come acknowledging your spiritual poverty, 
God welcomes you in, he gives you the kingdom of heaven, gives you a whole new identity as his disciple, and, and then says, now, as a member of this kingdom, go and be perfect. Nice. Yeah, so it's going to be a big challenge. We're going to be facing up to some hard truths of the Christian yeah, life. Yeah. Uh, I've been finding that in preparation to it, that my own heart is just getting cut to pieces by, uh, by the word of God, <laughs> and I am not good enough. Um, but I am poor in spirit. I come to Jesus. I get, uh, I get grace, and then I get a high calling to live as a citizen of God's kingdom um, in righteousness, even greater than the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So it'd be good to read Matthew Indeed. five to seven, maybe yeah. even chapter one, and get the context. Again. Absolutely, yeah. Remember where we went last year, chapters one through four, and then yeah, dive in and, and get your head around five to seven. Uh, we'll be, be picking up in in just on I think uh, three or four Sundays time. Terrific. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll see you later for now, and we'll pick this up in a couple of weeks. See you guys. See you later.